morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hope things are going great wherever you are. I'm Ali Amagasu, and I'm still at KubeCon. This is my last day here, my last interview, and I'm feeling really lucky to get to uh, speak with one of the one of the keynote speakers from the very first day. His name is Brandon Phillips, and uh, he worked for Red Hat or CoreOS or both. I, I actually probably should have asked you that before when we were prepping, but I have in my notes both companies. Yeah, so uh, I work at Red Hat. Red Hat acquired CoreOS 11 months ago. Nice. All right. And uh, I'm thrilled again to be joined by uh, my co-host, Pete. He is not here, but he is by the magic of the internet brought to us from upstate Michigan. Hey, Pete. Hey, I'm still jealous that you're out there in Seattle. And and Brandon, I've got a chatbot idea I wanted to bounce off you. It 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 looks at news feeds every night while you're asleep and then reminds you what company you work for when you wake up in the morning in case <laughs> there's been an acquisition that you didn't know about. What smart, do you think? Smart. I love it. All right. Pete and I are both, um, we both work for Cisco and we're both acquisition babies as well. <laughs> got it. <laughs> That's how we came. Within the past, I don't know, what, four years for me. How about you, Pete? Uh, it's two and a half. It'll be it'll be three in April. Two and a half. Yeah, it's good. So, Brandon, what what got my attention when I was watching you do the keynote was etcd. Now, I'm not a developer, and so I'm not using many of the tools that are that are part of CNC under the CNCF umbrella. Um, so I, I can see how it would have escaped my attention, but seriously, I had not heard of it until you know until your talk or until the material sent out to prep for your talk. And I thought, oh, this this must be new. This must, you know, just be get hot off the you know presses. But it it turns out it's been around for five years. Yeah. And it turns out a lot of companies are already using it. It's pretty established. And so that kind of left me with a lot of questions. Yeah. The first thing before I ask you, you know, why you made a lot of the decisions you made, um, is what is it? What is etcd? So etcd is a key value database. That's how people interact with it. So you set a value at a particular key and then later can retrieve that uh, value at that key. So at a high level, that's what it is. That's not a terribly unique property. There's thousands of key value databases. Um, but what makes etcd unique is that it uses an algorithm, what's called the consensus algorithm. And so consensus algorithms are really important when you're building software that controls lots of other computers. So Think Kubernetes, it's a clustering system, so the Kubernetes control plane is controlling maybe dozens or hundreds or thousands of computers, or think a storage system or a networking system. And so uh, the reason that you want a consensus algorithm behind the database is because you want to ensure that the database keeps running in the face of individual machine failure. So when you're running etcd, you're usually running three or five machines all in a cluster running etcd the exact same copy of the data. And if any of those machines fails because, say, intern trips over a power cable or uh, you need to take it out of rotation for an upgrade, etcd automatically figures out that, oh, one of the people I was talking to, one of the other machines I was talking to failed and figures it out and continues running. And so another way of thinking about it is it's, um, it's a little democracy. So the reason that you have three or five members is because they vote whenever something happens. Um, so let's say that you have A, B, and C, B suddenly stops talking, and then A and C decides who's going to be the president, um, and they do a little round of voting, and then they continue operating as normal. And so uh, that's, that's what makes etcd kind of special. And um, we, built it, uh, we built it because there's a bunch of changes in because of cloud, because of 
uh, needs of the security of the internet that we needed to build a new consensus database in open source. So people were doing this without this tool before. Was it a problem or did it become a problem because of some of these new developments you said, like cloud and, and secure, the security associated with it? Yeah, so people were building these things before. However, building them was really, really difficult before 2013 because the algorithms, the actual research uh, that makes these sorts of databases possible, the consensus algorithms were really difficult to understand and practitioners had a really hard time going from the research that's been in the literature for you know, 20, 30 years now, um, most notably uh, Leslie Lamport's Paxos paper. Taking that research and making it practical system uh, was really a huge hurdle. And then um, a Stanford PhD student, uh, Diego um, Ongardi, he wrote a new paper talking about how to make these consensus algorithms understandable. And not just understandable by PhDs, but understandable by undergraduate students and people with a cursory understanding of distributed systems. And so he wrote this paper called Raft um, along with the, the rest of his team. And that Raft paper came out about six months before we started NCD. And it was the first time that I really grasped how to implement a consensus algorithm. And so we started building um, a consensus database on top of the Raft consensus algorithm. And, um, and most notably, our intern at the time, but later became a director at CoreOS, our intern um, made a bunch of contributions and, and got quoted in that PhD thesis as well. Um, as, we were, uh, as we were developing, we found ways to improve the algorithms and that sort of thing. So you were at CoreOS at the time when this? Yeah, we just founded CoreOS, uh, and maybe a few months after we founded CoreOS in the winter of 2013, this paper came out and it caught both my co-founder and I's attention. And then we hired our first round of interns and we asked one of the interns to try to make a practical system out of it. Okay, okay, that yeah. makes sense, that makes sense. Pete, I, I'll let you step in with a question or two if you want, but otherwise I'm just gonna plow down my list. No, I was gonna, the thing I was gonna say was, you know, the, the, the thing that then ultimately leads you to sitting where you are today and the announcement that you guys made earlier this week is, right, it's, you can use etcd for lots of different distributed key value pair kinds of use cases but can you talk about some of the history with the kubernetes community and uh it being an underlying technology for what kubernetes does for quite a few things yeah for sure so when we built etcd we were solving uh, a particular problem we had at CoreOS, which was we had an operating system that updated itself and we wanted this operating system to when it when it asked for an update to be able to do that without having to have a system administrator go log in and say like, it's okay to update. And so we used that CD initially just for that. So we would have like, the user would configure five machines out of 200 can update. And uh, they'd configure that and then the machines would just upgrade by themselves and that CD would coordinate them. Now we, ha we had aspirations to do more complex things over time, but that was like the first application. And unbeknownst to us about, um, about, I would say, a year and a half after we released etcd, Google started working on open sourcing their internal a system inspired by their internal systems called Kubernetes, which is really awesome because uh, these consensus databases really come from a bunch of white papers Google put out describing yeah. internal systems. So Google put out this really wonderful paper called The Data Center as a Computer, and then also describe their consensus database called Chubby, 
but uh, Chubby had uh, a lot of what we did with etcd was inspired by Chubby. And so they're building Kubernetes internally at Google uh, for uh, uh, open sourcing it six to 12 months later. And uh, they're like, oh, shoot, we need an open source Chubby implementation. And we had just built one and put nice. it in open source uh, less than a year before. And so it was a little bit of a like peanut butter jelly time moment. And so they they ended up selecting SCD as the consensus database. One of those preparations meets opportunity equals good luck. Right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and so Kubernetes became this huge project and a huge user etcd and and uh, kind of drug etcd along with it for a few years. Um, and we had the good fortune that. So does everybody? Let me pause for a second. Sure. As the, the idiot who doesn't use Kubernetes on a daily basis, is everybody who uses Kubernetes basically using etcd and just? Exactly. So every Kubernetes cluster is powered by an etcd cluster behind it. Okay. You don't even know it's there. Yep. Yeah. It's sort of like uh, WordPress and MySQL. It's Kubernetes and etcd. So. Interesting. Yeah. So then, why did it even need to become really a part of like CNCF? Uh, so the reason it became part of the CNCF is because we, I was very adamant that uh, I wanted to make the project be ubiquitously used, um, and, and so with my co-founder Alex Colby, and so we worked really hard to recruit other maintainers from other companies, um, worked really hard to ensure that the ecosystem around it grew, and so just I think the natural momentum of the project led to it making sense to put intellectual property like trademarks and, and domains into the CNCF. Um, but I wanted to make sure that it was real before we just put it in. Thank you very much. That was that was an interesting answer. I think you already you, you kind of got to what I was wondering about what you gained by joining CNCF. So was it it was already open source? Yes. Yeah, it just wasn't being governed. It didn't have the benefit of that governance or that. No, it was actually being pretty well governed oh. as well. So we we wrote governance stocks for the project and had onboarding criteria for maintainers and um, Clear roadmaps and all how many contributors were there? Was it mostly like core OS people, or was it really <laughs> way beyond that? Uh, today, it's it's four hundred and fifty contributors or more, um, and a set of maintainers is nine, um, and those represent I think five or six different companies. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. All right. Well, that's a lot of learning for me, <laughs> Pete. Yeah, I, Brendan, you guys get a lot of benefit, you, you know, with, certainly with the legal and trademark stuff by joining CNCF. Are you concerned at all with any any changes that might be imposed upon you, either directly or indirectly, based on based on the, how how you've been doing the governance, or do you feel like you know, given the number of of maintainers and contributors you already have, the momentum you have on your governance model is going to be fine? Yeah, I think our governance model will not need to change, if at all, before we get graduated from CNCF. I mean, uh, CNCF. So I sit on the governing board of the CNCF, and then also well, that helps. <laughs> also on the steering committee of Kubernetes and the CNCF. As long as there's a, there's clear neutral governance model, they really don't dictate how you do that. I mean, there's projects that go from benevolent benevolent dictator for life projects all the way to like sure. you know, concordant voting for every time somebody wants to merge a pull request. So there's there's a wide variety of a uh, of democracies that exist inside of CNCF. Well, that's why I was asking the question, because you guys have obviously been successful for a number of years using what you had. And there's always, you know, whenever there's a big change like that, and, and you've got 
you've got two of them going on simultaneously in your life. Whenever there's a big change like that, you always worry about the culture clash. And is, is the culture of the larger entity going to negatively impact the, you know, the, the spunk for lack of a better word that made the, the smaller entity, the success that it has been. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we're in a good spot, but it is a reasonable concern. Um, God, I had a question that's been sitting in the back of my mind the whole time and I just, <laughs> I just lost it. It just, well, I guess I'll ask. So, I mean, do, do you see any, do you see any fundamental changes in any of the underlying, underlying technologies now? Right. Cause you guys, if I understand etcd correctly and, and I may not, right. You guys have some things going under the hood with Prometheus and grpc and, and some other things. Do you see any, any major changes happening there to better conform with other tools that are already part of CNCF? Or do you feel like you've already got a pretty strong base and it's just going to be full steam ahead regardless? Yeah, I, I think that we're, we're in a really strong position as a project. I think the, the big interesting development that happened this week was Microsoft announced that they had created a version of etcd that runs on top of their Cosmos DB. Oh, so they have so we use Bolt DB internally, which writes to a file system. Uh, they created essentially an etcd that writes to their database on Azure, uh, which is a completely valid use case, um, and that's something that I want to see kind of make it back into the etcd community. Interesting. And it, so, are yeah. they now are they doing that for Kubernetes management, or what's what's their use case that they're using it for? Yeah, exactly. So uh, some of these cloud providers already have consensus. Uh, consistent partition tolerant databases, and they want to use or leverage that technology in the monitoring and the internal um, the internal knowledge, and essentially run etcd in front of it as a as a proxy for for support of their Kubernetes deployments. Um, and I've heard similar feedback from other cloud providers, so I think that's a pretty reasonable thing. And I mean, it's 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 not without uh, a historical precedent, you know. MySQL and Postgres have also had various backends plugged into them over time as well. So, I did, so Pete, you kind of asked the question that had been, you know, lurking in the back of my brain, um, and that is when I was um, working for the company that Cisco acquired, MetaCloud. Mm -hmm. We were doing um, an OpenStack-based uh, private cloud enterprise managed, and uh, at that time, working there, I remember there was just a giant list of things that needed to be added to OpenStack. They, you know, the, our engineers were constantly splitting their time between kind of building our product and contributing to OpenStack. There's a huge list. But this product sounds, or etcd sounds, it's working great. Does that mean there's no list of, of to-dos? Or is there a huge list of like really ambitious things you guys hope to achieve with this and add to it? Yeah, so that's a great question. One funny thing is OpenStack actually uses etcd as well. Oh, they do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was added about two years ago. So we, we have a list, but one of the things that we did at CoreOS, and I think this ecosystem tries to do, is follow a very tight philosophy of this project does this and nothing more. <laughs> and so we've tried really not to expand the scope of etcd. We've been very focused on being a key value database exclusively and um, then concerning ourselves with how to be the easiest to manage, how to be uh, the most reliable on upgrades and downgrades, how to be the easiest to monitor. So it's really about a lot of operational concerns now. How do we make sure that etcd keeps 
its primary user, which is the operator, the person who has to worry about it going down, how do we keep those users happy? And so a lot of the roadmap right now is around how do we make it easier to spin up and down clusters and make sure that uh, managing etcd is easy. We're adding this really advanced feature that uh, engineers at Google helped to design hopefully why uh, next year, but it's how do you downgrade etcd, which is a really, really advanced feature for databases, particularly open source databases. We have a great upgrade story, but imagine that in the upgrade you find a bug in etcd and you want, you want to go down, back to the previous downgrade. Um, that's, a, that's a feature that we're working on. So yeah, we really, we have a roadmap, but it's a very targeted roadmap. On that roadmap, have, have you reached, and this is kind of getting back to my governance question a little bit, so have you have you reached the point yet? And I'll use OpenStack as the counterexample here, where maybe you've got, you know, you've got feature requests coming from the open from the OpenStack community, and another feature request coming in from the Kubernetes community, and like trying to balance the prioritization of those two things. And does that differ now that you're part of CNCF? Yeah, I don't think it differs at all. Um, but we we do. We do get a lot of feature requests, but we've also we've worked on a number of tools so that those feature requests don't have to go directly to etcd. Got so it. we 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 have like a, a really cool system of building proxies that enable you to like bolt on additional features to etcd, but those features don't necessarily have to go into the core of etcd. So like a couple of examples, we implemented the Zookeeper API. So Z, Zookeeper was a consensus database mostly used in the Hadoop ecosystem and also the Mesos ecosystem. And uh, one of the engineers at CoreOS at the time built a Zookeeper proxy. So we implement the Zookeeper API, but it's in a proxy. <laughs> so, which is pretty cool because people okay. have started to like do stuff like run Mesos on top of etcd. So. so the flexibility to the design is to your advantage there, where, you know, just like WordPress doesn't care about all the WordPress plugins. In your case, you don't necessarily, you know, it, the, if the community wants to prioritize, if somebody at OpenStack really wanted to build that proxy, the interface is there for them to do it. Exactly. And, and we've been very, very conservative about the features that we add to the project. Um, it, but there are a lot of core features that we particularly added over the last two years that were directly coming from Kubernetes. But those core features were really about how do we create a key value database with properties that properties that make Kubernetes scale really well? And a lot of those features ended up being taken advantage of by all the storage and networking and, and other projects that rely on top of etcd. Cool. Yeah, that cuts both ways, right? Like somebody somebody else might have an idea that you don't realize is going to help you until you see the feature. So it I mean it kind of cuts both ways. For sure. So so while you're talking about the project you're, you're describing, you've taken a conservative approach to adding new functions. You had a very narrow scope. Are there are there things that people complain about? Do they say, well, we really wish it did this? Yeah. <laughs> well, this, this is kind of that, that question on your job interview. What's your what's your weakness? Yeah. What what do people complain about? Yeah. It sounds like it's a great project in you know by any standard, but what do people what do people wish it was that you guys aren't letting it be or or that it just isn't yet? Yeah. So the categories of complaints really follow essentially three major themes. First is that bringing up an etcd cluster is hard. Unfortunately, that's kind of a general problem. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, running a 10-minute mile is hard uh, sort of complaint, because you're having to configure a system where you're 
have a lot of different machines in that system, and um, it's just it's it just it, is what it is. It's very difficult. Um, <laughs> so we've we've done stuff to make it slightly easier, but it, it is a pretty pretty difficult problem just to begin with. Um, the second piece is that configuring FCD is difficult, um, and we've been essentially addressing this over time. But it kind of goes back to the first problem <laughs> in that you want to have configuration that brings the cluster up, but then you also have ongoing configuration, and you want that ongoing configuration to kind of propagate to all the machines in the cluster if you make some sort of change. Uh, so it's kind of a tricky uh, chicken and egg problem. And then uh, the third sort of category of complaints is really around security of the product. And mm -hmm. security is always a, a, a trade-off that you make between um, how quickly somebody can get started and developer usability, and then how hard it can be in production. And we made a very conscious decision early on to make it really easy to get started with etcd. It doesn't mean that we don't have the bells and whistles to make it secure, and pretty much every vendor brings up etcd in a secure way. Um, but it did bite us in that there's a number of people who are running etcd clusters on the open internet without, without any security properties. But again, it's like, um, you, you you have to make a choice one way or the other, and I think that the popularity of the project and the project being well adopted um, outweighs people, sh you know, using a foot gun and like shooting their foot off. <laughs> it's, like, it's really it's it's one of those things that you you, you have to make a, a choice one way or the other. Well, thank you. That's that's a great answer. Um, you mentioned a couple times that, well, actually, before I ask that question. Going down this the same path where we're talking about what etcd does, what it doesn't do, are there any adjacent project projects that you feel like work really well with etcd and that people should be considering because it you know provides some of those things that they ask for that it works well with? Yeah, there there are a lot of things that that you like essentially build on etcd. It's funny. Uh, I'll do this without naming names, but I, I used to work at a a large cloud provider and. We we had like a networking system uh, internally that we were using, and it used kind of a not well implemented consensus database, <laughs> and uh, it was constantly going down and causing us outages. And so some of the things that like we used etcd for initially were actually networking related. So we were using it for coordinating networks of of, of uh, systems um, for Kubernetes. And so there's a lot of projects like Flannel and Project Calico. And Selenium, and uh, on and on. But um, I think NCD really does uh, work well in this networking space because for a lot of these SDNs and stuff, you're having to uh, configure lots of machines. You don't want it to go down, and so it's very like very similar to use case and a less recognized use case than like Kubernetes in this whole cloud native space. But um, I think it's an important one that. Uh, that kind of is behind the scenes, and I'm, I'm seeing lots of <laughs> lots of networking vendors start to start to adopt it. Um, well, that's good to know. We like to as Cisco, we like to think that <laughs> people are thinking about the network and understanding that's an important part of the bigger picture. Pete, I think I'm good. You you asked the question I was going to ask about kind of what's next or what are the the biggest pain points. And okay, I do have one more question before yeah, I ask the, the kind of closing one. So. Since you're, you're, you know, you're involved beyond etcd, it sounds like you're on the governance board, and um, you, you have you have your hand in all kinds of CNCF stuff. It sounds like, yeah. And so, what I wonder is, I keep hearing during this conference in particular that there's a 
don't know if it's a, a complaint or a realization that Kubernetes isn't always that developer friendly. What is, what is your feeling on that? Is that something that is, again, just one of those it is what it is things, like spinning up a cluster? Yeah. Or should it should there be some kind of pivot on the basis of that concern to make it more friendly to developers? Yeah, so I really see. And do you believe that's legit, a legit complaint? Yeah, I think it is a legit complaint. Um, if you think of, like, I don't think necessarily we should be pushing Kubernetes to developers, just like you shouldn't be pushing Linux to developers. Like Linux is not a developer tool. There's tooling that makes developers really productive that run on Linux. And I think that's a similar perspective of what needs to happen in the Kubernetes ecosystem is Kubernetes is a great platform and it provides these abstractions across clouds just like Linux provides these abstractions across hardware. But there's more that needs to be built into the ecosystem to make developers successful with it. And, um, and we've been, really successful so far. I mean, we've brought on a lot of what developers need into the ecosystem. We've brought in load balancers and databases and CI/CD systems. Um, but I think developers won't necessarily interact with Kubernetes directly as their like productivity workflow, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the big opportunity and the thing that Kubernetes gains, or that, that developers gain by using Kubernetes is similar to what you gain by using Linux. You have this this set of systems that you can rely upon, and whether you're using Python or Ruby or Java, you can debug them in a similar way, and you can restrict the the resources that they use, and you can use them across multiple VM environments. You can run it on your laptop. You can run it in the cloud, and Kubernetes is enabling that when you need more than one computer, just like Linux enabled that when you can run it all on one computer. Um, and so that's that's my perspective. I think that there's going to be lots and lots and lots of workflows and developer productivity tools that run on top of Kubernetes, and that's good, and that's okay, and that's a healthy ecosystem. And I hope that um, as you know, people who steer the Kubernetes project, we don't lose sight, and similar to what I was saying earlier, scope creep and make Kubernetes something that is unnatural to what it, it's actually really good at and why people are excited about the project. Um, right, yeah. right. Well, as you're talking about that, you know, what's, what's, what do developers really need to be productive? Yeah. Um, and what role should Kubernetes play? What role does Kubernetes play as people move towards serverless? I realize that's still a new discussion, but does it remain as relevant as, as it is right now? Yeah, I think it remains uh, just as relevant because to, to go back to that Linux analogy, whether you're running a container that came through Jenkins pipeline that has your Java app in it, or whether you're running a function on top of, or uh, running a function that's running a container, like being able to debug those things in a similar way because they're running inside of pods on top of Kubernetes. They have networking inside of Kubernetes. The serverless thing can talk to the Java thing, and you can see that network connection inside of Kubernetes APIs. Like, that consistency of operational views and that consistency as a system administrator who doesn't care about your CI CD flow or the fact that it's serverless, that system administrator perspective of having a consistent environment is really important. It's really about like Kubernetes is about creating um, systems where different personas can work together productively like really productively. Like developers can deploy their code on top of Kubernetes. System administrators can introspect what's running in their systems and understand capacity planning and when things are crashing and have a consistent view of monitoring. 
And cluster administrators have these amazing open source tools that make them successful, whether provided by their cloud provider or by Red Hat with OpenShift or whatever. And that's kind of the, the, the big unique thing about Kubernetes is we it's a tool that helps people be successful in their persona through a single set of technology. So. Nice answer. Pete, we're talking about function as a service. Are you listening? <laughs> oh, did you leave? I know. No, I didn't. <laughs> I had a I, I had Chihuahua management issues in the background and I muted myself so that we could get that awesome answer out of Brandon. Oh, you are having Chihuahua <laughs> management issues. Yeah. <laughs> the FedEx guy came right in the middle of one of those answers. But well, yeah, I love that answer that Brandon just gave. And I think, you know, in, in the serverless community, there there are some that are pretty anti-container and pretty anti-Kubernetes. But I, I kind of think, you know, you use the right tool for the right problem. And I think that ecosystem that Brandon just described, where sometimes you're using one thing and sometimes you're using another, is absolutely the future that we're all a, a part of. But I think there's there's plenty of room for the two to coexist. There's strengths and weaknesses of each, and um, you know it, it's up to each individual application or or service to figure out what's going to work best for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brandon, you made it through the the gauntlet of our <laughs> of our questions about etcd. Thank you for for answering them. Before we let you go, though, I'd love it if you could uh, take a minute to tell us how you got into tech in the first place. Was this your first choice? Did you always know you wanted to do this? Yeah, it was my first choice. And uh, I had many funny moments through my childhood. Um, so I got interested in, in technology really from a super young age. And I had the good fortune of parents that, uh, having parents that were super supportive and bought me a computer and bought me programming manuals and bought me... Uh, <laughs> the software in order to be, become a, a software engineer at a very young age. And so um, they had no idea about any of Were they stuff. in the industry? So no, they weren't no, the industry. No, industry. No, my, my dad's uh, been in the grocery industry his entire career, and my, my mom's been in law enforcement her entire career. So uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of how it started. And then actually, funny you should ask, a few months ago, my mom was digging through old things at the house and, uh, and found uh, they had this thing that we did in fourth or fifth grade that was like write your autobiography as if you were in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're supposed to like envision your future self. And I wrote that uh, I wanted to be uh, start my own software company and write software that helped. <laughs> this is like verbatim for my like fourth grade yeah. <laughs> autobiography um, that helped uh, lots of people. Um, across the world. <laughs> so, that's funny. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of always been my passion and, and I've been very lucky to, to, you know, be able to navigate that and, and actually make some of that uh, come true. So, Power of a kid with a vision. Yeah, exactly. If I could get my kid to glom onto his 10-year <laughs> plan right now, I'd be really, really excited about that. He thinks he wants he thinks he wants to be a software engineer or maybe a hardware engineer. He wants to be involved in IT, but he's got a very laissez-faire approach to it. Like, you got to get crack a lack of buddy. You're 13, almost 14. Let's start moving on this dream. All right, Pete. I hope the Chihuahua management issues have settled down. Uh, they have. I think we're, we're good. The, my home is safe from the FedEx person. So excellent. I can, I can sleep well tonight. No. Oh, God. Christmas season must be brutal. You have to yeah. four of them. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a little, little heightened, heightened sense of awareness around here for my little Chihuahua army. 
That's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. And uh, this is it. This is the last one from the KubeCon uh, series. So safe travels coming home, Brandon. It was wonderful to meet you. It's always great to hear about a, a dream fulfilled, a childhood dream fulfilled. So congrats on all that. And we look forward to hearing more from both CoreOS and etcd. Great. Thank you very much for the time. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.